Hello, and welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. I'm going to read the scripture passage to you today, and there, at one point, um, at Kevin's suggestion, I'm going to make it interactive, and when I say glory to God, I'm going to want you to kind of repeat as loudly as you're comfortable with, glory to God. If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of the scripture? This is from chapter 2 of Luke. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God! Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Please be seated. We could probably get louder. The shepherds were overwhelmed. It's a really tough scene to, to paint. I'm going to try uh, to give us just a little bit of it. But the, the shepherds were overwhelmed. There's no doubt in their minds. They are absolutely overwhelmed and certain that they have just experienced angels, messengers from God, and the glory of God, it said as well, the supernatural presence of God. The angels are praising God. They're worshiping. This is one of the most powerful recorded instances of overwhelming worship in the Bible, perhaps recorded anywhere when people experience it in their physical body. Now, many of you... um, We did the book of Revelation a little over a year ago, and in the book of Revelation, there are powerful scenes, but they're visions. They're not something that the Apostle John experiences in his body. And the Apostle Paul says that he went to the third heaven, and he says he didn't know if it was in the body or not. But of the ones that we know, this is perhaps the most powerful supernatural worship experience recorded in the Bible. They physically experience some of God's glory and the presence of, I mean, just imagine, if the whole sky is filled, it's probably thousands of angels. Jesus said he could call legions of angels. So we're, we, we might be talking 50, 60,000 angels. Now, I've never had that powerful of an experience of God's presence. I have, however, often felt God's supernatural presence in ways that have left me with no doubt. I've also at times felt evil, not very many, but a few. Have you? You ever felt God's presence? A friend shared with me recently about a dear man that uh, they've been praying for for years. It's a man who's always been really respectful and even interested in my friend's Christian faith. And so they've been able to discuss it amicably and respectfully, which today is rare. And the man's been interested. um, And he's just indicated that he's just never had what was an obvious, clear spiritual experience or experience of God. He's open to it, but it's never happened. I think he's being very reasonable. With all the bizarre religions and claims that just float all around America, people really need for God to speak to them. Now, 70 years ago, the vast majority of the population just took it for granted that 
Jesus was born in a manger, the Son of God, and rose on Easter, with a few small exceptions of people groups, in the United States anyway. But now the situation is much more similar to the way it was in the first century when Christianity was just beginning to spread. See, in the early church, the apostles, they went to the Gentiles and they said, "Uh, there's this dirt poor carpenter in this despised people in a backwater country who was crucified, and he's actually God. And for all the Gentiles and for the Jews as well, it was just laughable. Everybody knew, was absolutely certain that, well, if God were to come, he would be victorious. He would, he would win. He would not die. And if he were to die, he, is, of course, would never be tortured and die such an ignoble death on a Roman cross. So how did God overcome people's certainty that such a story was absurd? Well, God overcame their disbelief by doing powerful miracles through the apostles and by giving people supernatural experiences. Some were freed from demonic influence. Some spoke in tongues. Some uh, had encounters with angels, probably not as overwhelming as the shepherds, but encounters with angels. And some had just this more subtle inner nudging, a sense that they were getting a message from God. It's this last sense of God's presence and communication that's been my experience. Although early on I studied the arguments for Christianity and was really found the argument for the resurrection compelling, every time I would read the Bible, especially the Gospels, I would just get this sense that it was true. And especially when Jesus was talking, I just go, I don't know how I know, I just know it's true. And I couldn't shake it, I couldn't escape it. It was a spiritual sense of it's true. In addition to all the logic and arguments and history. So I don't think it's reasonable for us to expect the people around us to abandon their disbelief without some kind of supernatural experience of God's presence. The people needed it in the first century. I think the people need it in our century. Now, next Sunday is Christmas Eve, and in your bulletin, and I had one here, and it's gone. Oh, there it is. In your bulletin is an invitation that you can give to people. We'll have three worship services. Even the 10 a.m. one will have candlelight singing of uh, Silent Night at the end. We'll have the Christmas story, wonderful Christmas carols. Um, The message will be especially for people who probably aren't so convinced about Jesus, um, but they need to experience God supernaturally. So please be praying for God to do that next Sunday. And it's a great day to invite family, friends, people you love. Um, It's one of the Sundays of the year that they'll actually come when you invite them. So I would encourage you to use an invitation. There's more out around on the patio. And I hope you will pray for God to lead you to a person to invite, then invite them, and then during the worship service, be praying. Be praying that God will speak supernaturally, either a nudge or a a vision or a sense of the truth, and that they will say, yeah, I had an encounter with God, because people need that. So pray and invite, and then keep praying both during and after. Okay, would you open a Bible to, or an app to Luke chapter 2, verse 8? It's on page 857 in the Pew Bible, if you want to use that. And today we're going to look at this a little differently. We're going to try and look at this from the angel's perspective and see how that can be helpful to us. So Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8. 
And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Now, the angel appears, with him is the glory of God, God's presence. The shepherds are sensing both the angel and God's glory. There's no doubt. They know they are having a supernatural experience of God, and they are filled with fear. Now, that's often the case in the Bible when humans experience angels and they're not incognito. Uh, you may remember back in when God rescued the Israelites out of Egypt, he took them through the Red Sea and then on into the Sinai wilderness, and they came to Mount Sinai. And God descended onto the mountain, and the mountain was shaking like an earthquake. There was smoke, there was thunder, there was lightning, there was this trumpet blast that, that wouldn't end. And the people were so terrified that they said, Moses, please, let God talk to you, and then you talk to us. This is going to kill us. So... God's presence is awe-inspiring, and at times it is frightening. The shepherds had one of the strongest supernatural experiences of worship on record. Now, for most of us, God gives us less dramatic supernatural experiences of His presence. But I want to say this. He generally gives people enough, okay? A strong enough nudging or presence for them to know that something is going on spiritually. Now, some people really don't want God in their lives. And so they will resist whatever God is telling them, whatever they're sensing, whatever they're feeling, and eventually they can become jaded and just kind of callous to God's message to them. And often they do that for a season, and often it's because they're mad at God, mad for allowing something painful to happen to them. Maybe a loved one died, or maybe they were bullied, or maybe they were betrayed, or Maybe they feel unloved. I, I can identify with those things. Um, it was, I was probably mad at God without realizing it for several years. I refused to believe He even existed. How about you? Any of you identify with that? Gone through a season like that? But the good news is that God can still break through. And that's why we want you praying for Christmas Eve. Uh, he broke through for me, for many of you, I know your stories, and he broke through for you too when maybe you were on that list of, boy, it'd be impossible for them to ever come around. But he usually breaks through in answer to our prayers. But for the shepherds, there, there was no doubt that they were experiencing something supernatural. They're terrified of the angels. Now, what would that maybe tell us about the angels' perspective? The angels are seeing these shepherds blubbering on the ground that are terrified of them. The angels know that they are more powerful, they have better character, and they know more than the shepherds. They have better character because when when Satan rebelled, they didn't go with him. They have power to heal people and divide the Red Sea and all kinds of things. And they are not deceived. They know reality. They, they, They see it from God's presence. Now, usually when one group feels vastly superior to another, which is true in this case, they don't value the other group as much as themselves. But from the angel's perspective, even though we are weaker and sinful, they love and value us because not only are we God's creation, we are also created in His image. It says in Romans 8 that they are actually like waiting eagerly for the revealing of the Son's of God, for to see what we're become is the way I interpret that. I think it's kind of like 
doting parents or grandparents who they're bigger, they're more powerful, they're smarter than toddlers, but they just go gaga over the toddlers. I think that's kind of how the angels feel about us. They're super excited to give mankind the good news. Verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. So the angel tries to calm down the shepherds. Uh, he's not here to hurt them. He's here for, with good news for everyone, all the people. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, the city of David is Bethlehem. That's where King David was from. That's why it's called that. Jesus is the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. He is divine. Now, what does that mean from the angel's perspective? Exactly who is this baby? Well, I'm going to skip to the book of Hebrews, and we'll put it on screen, because it tells you just a whole bunch of nuggets about who this baby is. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This baby is the son of God. He's the heir of everything, the creator of the world, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, who holds the universe together. Hebrews goes on to say, that he sits at now at the right hand of the Father, very much superior to the angels. So the angels who are superior to the humans are going to announce Jesus to them, and Jesus is superior to them. There's all this hierarchy going on. Verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, you you're not supposed to put your baby in a manger. That's a trough for feeding animals. And that's why the, the angel can say this. When you find a baby in the manger, you're going to know it's the right one because nobody puts their babies in mangers, okay? Um, although we do that a lot this time of year. Um, verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Again, angels probably filled the sky, maybe tens of thousands of them. The sound of them praising God would have been extremely loud, probably shaking the shepherds, just the, the sound, and kind of going right through their bodies, sensing it. And at this point, the angels are sharing their perspective. Did you catch it? What's their perspective? Glory to God in the highest. What does that mean? Well, let's just go away for a second and think about what's the most enjoyable experiences in your life? Um, just think, think of some. Like for me, if I, I think, well, you know, um, seeing a good movie or eating something really good or, um, you know, playing a sport well, which I don't do anymore, or, um, you know, traveling to an interesting place, holding, holding a child or a grandchild, especially a newborn. Um, those are all things that we, we look at and we go, oh, that's one of my favorite things to do. So, so think of it for a minute, what's your favorite thing to do? What do you enjoy most? So when the angels say, glory to God in the highest, what does that mean? It means that they are more impressed, more enthralled, more excited, more overwhelmed, more enamored, more thrilled with God than with anything else. And they know much, much more than we know. Being with Him is their favorite thing to do. And whenever they're with him, they, they love and admire him, they worship him. Worshiping God is their favorite thing to do, the experience of his goodness, his beauty, his power, his love. 
Now, that may not make sense to us. Probably many of you kind of had to drag yourself out of bed to get here today. I saw some smiles. Does anyone here have a spouse that leaps out of bed early Sunday morning and says, come on, honey, it's Sunday. We get to do our favorite thing, worship. Oh, you got one. Okay. I saw a hand. Kudos to that spouse. Um, But see, from the angel's point of view, because they have experienced worship in the actual presence of God, it is their favorite thing to do. Now, the question you have to ask yourself today is, will you believe the angels? They're smarter than you. I don't, even if you're, if you're a genius, they're smarter than you are. And they have access to reality in the presence of God. And they are powerful. And they're telling you, from their perspective, the very best experience you can have is to be in God's presence. Something to look forward to. Another thing about their perspective, and this one they probably kind of shared a little bit with Jesus, although Jesus put up with it for many years. There's several times in the Gospels when Jesus kind of gives you the impression that he's kind of kind of upset or disappointed in people because they won't believe him, that he came from God and now they won't believe him when he tells them the truth. One example is uh, in John chapter 3, a devout religious leader named Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And he comes at night probably because he doesn't want other people to see that he's coming to Jesus. And they start talking and he says, you know, I know you're from God because of the stuff you do. And then they start talking and he immediately starts doubting what Jesus is saying. And Jesus says, I'm just telling you about what I've seen. I'm the only one that's been to heaven and come here. Why don't you believe me? Well, similarly, in the angel's perspective, they too have been to heaven and then have come as messengers. So they know that God is loving and good and beautiful and powerful. They, they look on the, on the created planet and they see the creator's fingerprints everywhere. So they find it ludicrous when people don't, don't realize that God loves them and that he's good. They find it surprising when people so often refuse to love God back. Well, another thing about angelic perspectives, what kinds of emotions do you think they felt and feel? Well, they're sad when they see humans missing out on God because they they won't believe the angels or the apostles or Jesus. They're mad when they see humans hurting other humans because they love humans just like God. And in the book of Revelation, the angels are very involved when God's justice comes to earth. They're glad when people love God back, and they're glad when they see God do amazing things. And you get the impression that this event, this baby being born, is something something over the top, some amazing event. You see, the angels saw God create the earth, and it was wonderful. They saw God create human beings in his own image, more impressive still. But they also saw God's God's heartbreak when humans rebelled and brought so much suffering on each other. And then they saw God rescue the Israelites over and over, all the while knowing that he was leading up to some great redemptive act. And that's what this is. God taking on human form and bringing salvation to humanity. God and the angels have been waiting for thousands of years for this event. Why is this so important to the angels? Because the angels love you, and they know the human predicament. They know that because of our sin, we will miss out on God forever if we don't have a Savior. So they're overwhelmed with excitement because they understand our predicament. Did you know that the Bible says most humans don't even understand their predicament? Jesus said this 
in Luke 17. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, and marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. That's what Jesus says. We're like, we don't even realize we're in danger. It's kind of like metaphorically living in a valley below a dam, and the engineers go and check out the dam, and they discover, this thing's going to go any moment. They go you know, driving through the, the town, honking their horn and yelling, but get out of the town, it's going to blow. And everybody just says, huh, we don't believe you. And just go on living their lives. Maybe not especially evil lives, just go on living their lives as though the dam will last forever. And most of us live as though there will never be a day of judgment. From the angel's perspective, that is just crazy. They've seen how patient God has been when people hurt people that he loved loves and it makes him angry. They've, they've seen how he sent his son to warn people and provide a pardon for all who are interested. The angels have reliable information of impending doom, similar to the engineers who warn the people that the dam is about to break. The angels know that all humanity desperately needs a savior. So the fact that the savior is arriving as this baby is exceedingly good news. So they're super excited to announce the birth of Jesus. Imagine with me what might have gone on in heaven. Do you think that it was like this, that God said, you know, in a few weeks, uh, my son's going to be born. You guys have got to go and announce it, okay? So just make, you know, pull out all the stops, make it good. Or do you think maybe the angel said, Father, would it be okay if we all went and announced him? If we read the passage right, it gives the sense that the angels cannot contain their praise for God. They've seen God plan and prepare for millennia for this moment. And at long last, God is invading earth to win back people's hearts. But let me ask you this. Do you think the angels knew everything about how it would play out? Or do you think their perspective was limited? Remember, at one point, Jesus says that not even he knew when he was going to come back another time, that only the Father knew. So clearly, the angels don't know everything. Their perspective is somewhat limited. And I could be wrong, but my opinion is that they did not know that Jesus was going to be crucified. Because on the last night before he was crucified, Satan enters into Judas Iscariot to motivate him. And Satan is certainly not knowing that he's unwittingly helping accomplish our salvation. He thinks that he's going to win if he can get rid of Jesus. I don't think Satan or anyone outside of the Father, Son, and Spirit really understood, even though it had been said, really understood that Jesus would rise again. So they announced Jesus' birth. The angels, when they do this, they may have been thinking something like this. At last, the Son of God will explain how loving and good and glorious the Father is, and everyone will realize they've been deceived. They'll start to love God and each other. Since he's come from heaven, they'll believe him. He'll do miracles. Everyone will believe in it. It will be the end of Satan's deceptions. And so they watch and they wait as Jesus grows up and starts his ministry. And they're probably both sad and mad as they see many people reject Jesus and not believe him and horrified as he's betrayed and tortured and crucified. But then overcome with joy when he comes back to life on the third day. Now, this one may not apply to you guys here in the front couple of rows, but you older people, have you ever wished that you as you are now could go back in time and talk with yourself when you were nine or in middle school or going through something difficult? 
Imagine what I might say to the 12-year-old me when my family broke up and I became an atheist. Or when I made stupid decisions in high school. Don't make stupid decisions in high school. (laughs) Maybe you would just give yourself a word of encouragement. Hang in there. It's going to be okay. Maybe you'd strongly warn yourself not to do something. Maybe you'd give yourself some career advice or stock market tips. (laughs) I knew some of you were thinking that. You see, the perspective that you have on yourself now is undoubtedly wiser than the perspective you had back then. And similarly, the angels have a wise and accurate perspective to share with us. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, they were besides themselves as they enthusiastically praised God. And yet I think they were surprised when Jesus willingly took our punishment and our place. And now, as it says in Revelation, they worship the Lamb who was slain in even greater awe than before. So if the angels were to share their perspective with us, I I think they would say something like, don't miss out on salvation. Jesus has done everything necessary for you to be pardoned to become part of God's family. Turn your life over to him. I think they'd also say to those of us who have been following Jesus for a while, keep your eyes on Jesus. Worship him enthusiastically. He's amazing. Get ready for the, the best experience of your life in the next life. And third, I think they'd say, you may not see us, but we're here to help. My favorite quote from A.W. Tozer, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When I was a kid, I hated church. I'd sit in this very staid and boring worship service at the First Presbyterian Church. It was a dark sanctuary, not like this. Everything was dark. Everyone was really old. Some of the women wore way too much perfume. Um, they had this little wooden thing up that you put the hymn numbers in, and you'd. I vividly remember fidgeting constantly, deliberately singing the hymns off key, being bored out of my skull. The worst was when the associate pastor would drone on this syrupy language for five minutes, just reading this prayer. I, I remember it to this day. That it, I mean, it was every week this was. All I wanted was for worship to end so I could do something fun and interesting. And unlike here, there weren't even any donuts to look forward to afterwards. (laughs) So for me growing up, worship was the antithesis of something enjoyable or a favorite activity. You have no idea how incredibly ironic I find that I'm now a pastor. I now really enjoy attending two worship services almost every Sunday, and when I travel, I make sure and go visit some church so I can worship. I worship enthusiastically and joyfully. I love to express to God how wonderful He is. See, everyone worships something or someone. We gradually become like whatever or whomever we worship. So this week, pause. Pause each day and think about the angels and their perspective. They worshiped enthusiastically because they know how great God is. And imagine an angel just sharing his perspective with you and just whispering in your ear and saying, you are loved more than you know. Keep your eyes on Jesus. We're here to help. In a few moments, I'm going to ask Kevin Ford to come back up 
and lead us in prayer. Kevin is one of 28 missionaries that we support financially. He works with InterVarsity primarily with graduate students at MIT. It means he's really smart. Um, some of the students he has worked with have gone on to be highly influential in their fields as well as very effective ambassadors for Christ. Before Kevin prays, would you take the brochure out of your uh, bulletin? In this brochure, we just tried to capture some, um, just some exciting things that are going on around here. Uh, and we hope you'll take it home. You may have already gotten one at home with a little letter from me. Um, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this, is not, this part of today is not for you. But if you're a follower of Jesus, then you know you were purchased by his sacrifice on the cross. And that what you may not realize is all that he has inherited, all that he has, belongs to you, belongs to us. That's by the same token, all that we have belongs to him. And as our king, he, he tells us to give back a portion of the money that he entrusts to us through our church. We do it because we love him. We do it because we're tempted to be materialistic or to worry. And one of the best things to get rid of that is to give generously. The most biblically defensible and historically defensible position through, down through history is Christians have felt like they would give their first 10% of their income back to God at their church. Now, most people hear that today and they go, oh, but I and I get that. The average American Christian gives about a little less than 3%. The average American church goer about a little less than 3% of their income. Um, there are reports coming in. I read one this week. I've been hearing them all this fall. Attendance is down all over the nation. Giving is down all over the nation. It's, it's a trend that's been going on for some time. Uh, and and we've, we've experienced that here too. God has given us a mission to make disciples. We just really see that in the coming years, we need to see dozens of new followers of Jesus each year and dozens of changed followers each year. And to do that well together, we need everyone to give back a portion of their time and serve, and we need everyone to give back a portion of their income. Uh, if you currently are not involved at all, then just start small, maybe 2 or 3% of your income. That's actually just the national average. And then maybe another percent per year. And, and go to the financial peace thing because it'll help you not only get understand how your giving works, but it'll also help you understand your spending so that you can honor God with your spending and your giving. And if you already help, thank you. Uh, there are many generous people in this, this church. And our financial need is greater than it normally is. So I would just encourage everyone to think and pray about maybe um, increasing what you give by a percent. Of, uh, by a percent of your income. I think that would be amazing. Also, if you have investments, they probably have done really well this year. You might be willing to give a portion of that back to God just because you love Him. And we have this year-end donation. And the instructions, very easy on the website. Just go to the website. You can set up regular giving or one time. The Apostle Paul puts it like this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And now, some parting words from Pastor Rick. 
I hope this week you'll remember the angel's perspective and let them say to you again that you're loved more than you know, that just keep your eyes on Jesus because he's worthy and that they're actually there to help in response to your prayers. And I'm in a moment going to say again that line that they said that day. And the first time I say it, I would like for you to shout it out. Ready? Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. God bless you. Go in peace. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.